Welcome to EndoSummit Live, the podcast. If you have endometriosis, treat endometriosis, or love and support someone with endometriosis, then this is the place to be. The following season stems from our wildly popular live webinar series. The series sits in full on YouTube. While the tech may be rough in this podcast, the education will surely change the narrative for endometriosis. Please welcome our co-host, Dr. Andrea Vidali, an endometriosis surgeon and reproductive immunologist, and Dr. Sally Sorrell, a pelvic physical therapist and person with endometriosis. The following episode is an excerpt from the Endometriosis Summit 2021. The Endometriosis Summit is an annual conference held each March for patients and practitioners to learn all about endometriosis. This episode, I Love Someone with Endometriosis, tackles a hidden veil in endometriosis, which is that everyone around the person who has the disease is affected by the disease. Casey Berna, a social worker and endometriosis advocate, will help co-host this episode. Casey is also the scientific director of the Fertility Fair held in October, a fertility and endometriosis conference by the Endometriosis Summit. Casey is joined by Brandon Johnson, a social worker specializing in male infertility. Casey is also joined by Claudia Campbell and her husband, they will share their experience with endometriosis. Also joining them is Deb Weiland and Emma Weiland, a mother and daughter team of the Endo Educational Organization of Canada, and they will provide the perspective of mother and daughter. Rounding out our podcast will be Les Henderson and her partner, Kristen. Les is the founder of Endo Queer and speaks her mind as only Les can. Sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the Endometriosis Summit. We have such a great webinar for you. Today we're talking all about I love someone with endometriosis. Endometriosis doesn't just happen to the person that has it. It happens to everyone who's around them. Please welcome our co-host for the day, Casey Berna. Casey, can you introduce yourself? Absolutely. I am a social worker in the endometriosis and infertility community, and I am an endometriosis and infertility patient myself. And when you talked about the topic of this panel, I love someone with endometriosis, I thought it was so brilliant to do because a lot of patients ask me, you know, what can I do? My family doesn't know how to support me. And I couldn't think of a better panel to help enlighten the community on the great ways to support someone you love with endometriosis. Um, so I would love for, um, you know, patients to introduce their support people and support people to introduce the patients. Um, but first, let's start with you, Brandon. Um, we're so excited that you're here with us. You're an awesome um, mental health provider. So if you can introduce yourself, that would be great. 
Hello everyone, I'm Brandon Johnson. I am a social worker slash male infertility therapist. Well, I work with men and couples. And in this case, um, I have a very close friend who is battling endometriosis. In fact, um, she said explicitly, I can't wait to have my uterus removed. Um, evicted is what she said. And just watching her and going with her through the hardships of it, which is why I really enjoy this panel and talk about the people that you love and who are close to you in during um, this journey. So oh my goodness. Brandon, you need to get your friend, like we need to give your friend more resources and you know, really circle the wagon. So many patients are told that, you know, having a hysterectomy is the only treatment for endometriosis um, because that's what the standard of care states. So, um, you know, we'd, we'd love to help her out and maybe she's watching this. If she's watching this, you know, there's a whole community of patients there for you. And we're so grateful you're here tonight um, and so grateful for your interest and role in the infertility and endometriosis communities. Um, so to the rest of the panel, who would like to start introducing one another? I'll start. Um, <laughs> All right. All right, hello everybody. I'm Les Henderson, I'm founder of Endoqueer. Um, a little bit of my journey, which you'll learn more of during- Oh wait, oh wait, you're introducing me, I think. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. I thought it seemed like an introduction to Dan. And this is my partner, Kristen. Oh, wait. Excellent, so Les, why don't you- All right, Kristen, can you introduce Les for us? So of course, as she said before, this is Les Henderson, the illustrious founder of Endoqueer. Um, Les has been um, diagnosed with endo. How long have you, how long has it been? Gosh, it's been now probably about seven years. So seven years dealing with endo and we're just about a year out from her having a uterine fibroid um, procedure, like literally a year this month. So before the pandemic, right before the pandemic, we'd been kind of holed up here. And so I've been supporting her and then over the summer, with everything that was happening, not just with um, just endo and, and it's regular things that happened. She took advantage of the moment and thanks Sally for having that wonderful yeah. convening on endo and black, the black community. And it just ignited everything. So I use my, my skill and public relations and getting things together. And so here we are seven months into this wonderful organization. Also shout out to Casey for being on our board and getting things going. So, yeah. Yeah. So Les, can you introduce your amazing partner for us? Sure. I'm sorry. I thought we were doing. Okay. Um, so yeah, this is my partner, Kristen. Um, she has been incredibly helpful um, during, you know, during this time we've been together now since 2018 and it, it has helped that her mother has dealt with endometriosis. Mm -hmm. So that's been a big help because usually I've had partners that have ran away or they're very critical or they're like, well, why are you always sick? Or you just don't feel like going out. You know, it, it could get kind of bad sometimes. So it's definitely helpful that I have such a supportive uh, partner. And I really hope that everyone out there it has some type of support, even if it's not a romantic partner, if it's very close friends or a good support system. Awesome. Thank you so much. We are so grateful that you both are here with us this evening. Um, who would like to go next? We'll jump in. Um, <laughs> uh, this is my lovely daughter, Emma, and um, 
She started her endometriosis journey uh, when she was 14 uh, with her first emergency surgery. Um, second emergency surgery was when she was formally diagnosed with endometriosis and that was in 2018. Um, our journey was such that um, after with this surprising diagnosis and so forth, we, um, we then made it to all sorts of platforms where we, with Nancy's Nook and so forth, with getting educated and finding our way through the endometriosis community. So my lovely daughter, who used to be a competitive soccer player and dancer, was uh, at this point bedridden. And uh, anyways, I, it, it was quite a journey, but um, we came from a family that um, after watching Emma's journey and so forth, we um, realized that it was something that was um, prevalent in our family. And it, anyways, that's that's my daughter. She's now currently in, enrolled in a university and I could talk for an hour, but I won't, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and maybe one other thing about your daughter recently, what has she started? Absolutely, I'm so proud to announce. Um, my daughter uh, and I have co-founded the EEOC, which is the Endometriosis Education of Canada. And um, one of the Endo Educational Organization of Canada. Let's just make that clear. <laughs> so this is our partnership. <laughs> so many people are gonna relate. It's, we're grateful you're here this evening. <laughs> I am truly her support network and I'm here in that capacity and I always have been. So with the organization, I'm also her support network and her biggest fan um, as she's spearheading um, launching this organization, which our biggest challenge was getting information in Canada and proper vetted information in Canada. So this is what um, Emma's platform is all about. So yeah. Awesome. <laughs> this is my mom, Debra. Um, she's also co-founder, vice president of the EEOC, um, has walked with me since day one uh, through this journey, helping me figure out how to manage endo. Um, what is endo? Where do we go from from here? When I was bedridden, she was the one researching every single day for me. Um, I wouldn't be alive if she wasn't there for me. I can say that for sure. So, and I'm sure we could all say that. So um, I am super appreciative every single day of what she's done for me and that I'm able to sit here and be with you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Claudia and Andrew, Andrew, is this your first time on a panel for endometriosis and speaking publicly about it? Yes, yes it is. Okay, we're gonna be really gentle with you then. Like we appreciate <laughs> you being here. <laughs> All right. This is my beautiful wife. Um, we've been married for the past 17 years. Um, we, um, high school sweetheart, she's my first girlfriend, only girlfriend. Um, we found out um, that she had endometriosis when we were trying to have children at 28. But um, from ever, from when we met, um, she always had pain. We just didn't really know why she, it took, it was a long journey to her um, diagnosis. Um, she's been very, very strong. Um, I call her my endo warrior. Um, and we, th this journey has been, has been something special. And we, that's why I decided to come out of my little box and decided to share because I, because I know our journey, um, our ended journey has been over a decade um, or more. And uh, yeah, so I'm just, you know, I'm proud of her, everything that she's done. Um, she had her endosurgery over a year ago um, through us finding through Nancy's Nook 
Um, so we're just so grateful for this community and you know, growing the community to help others. That was excellent, Andrew. Excellent. Um, Claudia, can you introduce? Of course. So this is my amazing husband, Andrew. Um, as he said, we've been married for almost 17 years. He is my rock. He is my support. He has, I don't know where I would be without him. Um, I've been, I, even when I was bedridden, um, he's the one that did just about everything. He has never left my side, even when I try to push him away. Um, he, he has never left. And so um, he pretty much gave up um, even his career to be there um, for me as I was going through endometriosis and our journey and through infertility and even um, dealing with being a mother with infertility and being it, it being very hard to even um, you know take care of our children. He literally decided to become a stay-at-home dad as well, um, such that he could take care of our children full time when I was really suffering after having children. Um, because having children does not cure endos as much as people would like to tell you that. Um, and so he really has been my my rock for we've known each other for. 22 years and married for almost 17. So we, we got married pretty much as kids, people say. Um, but I think over the years, we've not just had a chance to grow together, but also been able to see each other mature individually, even as we've journeyed um, through our marriage. So he's my everything. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here um, this evening with us. And I know you'll be able to offer a lot of insights um, for patients and their you know, support, supporters out there. Um, so one, my first question that I had is, is directed to the, I'm going to say supporters. Is that okay? Like cheerleaders, supporters. Um, and my first question is to the supporters. Um, when, when you hear the word endometriosis, what do you think of? What does the word endometriosis mean to you? Yes, I can. I can honestly say like there's two sides to that. So one side being that it's um, after going through the journey and learning about it, it's a systemic all over body disease. But really the moment that I first heard that word when Emma was first diagnosed with that emergency surgery two o'clock in the morning and the doctor came out and said, okay, I have good news, bad news. Uh, and the good news is that she's good. Uh, the bad news is she has endometriosis. And there's no cure and there's no effective treatment. So at that moment, my thought was, this is a disease that's going to effectively change my child's life for the rest of her life. And how do we move forward? And so this disease was, um, it, it was huge, you know, like, so life-changing. It, 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 and that was basically it. It's like, okay, so it, this, this word is life-changing. Absolutely. And I think a lot of um, people can relate to, um, you know, how you see the word endometriosis. Kristen, I know you were going to say something as well. Well, I've been kind of couched in it my whole life. So basically, it was something my mother struggled with. She managed to have me. But of course, there were 
there were tries and there were things that she dealt with. She's also had, um, she had a very severe scoliosis curve, which was corrected so that we had to balance that. And with her age, it was Harrington rods and then she had a reparative. So, and then she had her histo probably when I was about six or seven. So at that point I knew I wasn't gonna be having any siblings. So, and then coming into this relationship when she dropped the word on me, I was like, oh, so this is the thing you're dealing with. And then doing the research, with less it's been and then that the one stat about it being like a cancer but not like it's like a thing you live with it's the inflammation it's the pain it's the debilitation it's not like it's well it, it does eat at you because of course when she told me about her um the um what well she uses the medical term all the time but the the lung collapse the spontaneous pneumothorax and just the fact that she can just name that word and everything that happened around it. And, you know, we met kind of through professional circles and just thinking about how life-changing it was for her, life-changing it is for so many other people and how so many people don't realize that at least until, I know this pandemic has taught people a lot about, you know, dealing with either quarantining from or living with chronic illness. And I feel like more empathy is had, but people didn't understand why my mom was tired, even me as a child. And then I see the effects, especially being in a um, same gender couple and she being, people assuming, of course, people assume a lot around black women. And of course, the more rough and tough you look, you know, people have these ideas. So seeing this perception, hearing it, being wrapped around it, but now if anything, being able to do something about it, at least in an advocacy way, it brings, it actually brings, when I think about the word now, it brings joy because it's brought her a lot of joy to be able to do something, to be active and to do something besides just, you know, claw at her job. I mean, that's, that's still happening, but one day she's going to be able to run this wonderful organization and continue to educate people on how this intersects the LGBTQ community. Um. Absolutely. Endometriosis is life-changing. And I love how you brought up that um, endoqueer brings joy to Les because Les emanates joy, like when she's doing their work in the community. So it is uh, just, it's a joy to watch as well. But um, so thank you for sharing. Um, Andrew, do you have anything to add? Um, yes, I think um, when, when I, you know, when I hear the word endometriosis, I I hear, you know, the words pain, um, you know, loss, loss of really quality time um, together, uh, spending time together. I think um, when, when Claudia got diagnosed with endometriosis, um, the doctor who was doing the um, laparoscopy, um, you know, he came out while, while she was still on, I say, you know, she has endometriosis, it's stage four. I, I didn't really know what that meant. Um, I think I just jumped on my phone. I, I didn't really know how I was going to explain it to her, what, what, what he said, because he had to leave. Um, but I guess endometriosis also gives the impression of the unknown. Um, but at the same time, it does also mean strength to me, because that's what I've seen through this journey, because we've been going through all the pain. Um, you know, it does bring out that strength. Um, that's what I've seen in Claudia a lot. So she, even through the struggle, um, the strength keeps on coming through to push through. Um, I've seen that strength and I think the community has been inspired by your strength and what you share. Um, what is your Instagram handle name again? So I 
endo fierce. I share, yeah. I share a lot of endo fierce. Yeah. Fierce. Yeah. fierce. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's an appropriate word. Um, so I, I want to um, ask you, you've all talked about how difficult it was. And I want to ask, was there any particular moment um, that you found the hardest or scariest, um, like a, a memory that was particularly difficult to navigate and kind of how you how you navigated it. Is there anything that comes to mind? Um, and I think both patients and supporters can share it. You're, the moment may not be the same. So I'll go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can share. Um, I think for us, the scariest moment was when I was rushed by ambulance to the hospital in 2019, um, it was actually a couple months before I had my excision surgery. I was in a tremendous amount of pain. I was in so much pain that I, I was screaming and I couldn't move. My children were in the next room. And um, in that moment, it was hard because I knew I needed to go to the hospital. I knew that Andrew couldn't come with me. I also knew that I couldn't explain or express what was going on in the moment. And also I knew that our children were hearing me scream and I was trying to navigate that as well. And I think for um, me in that moment, I, it, was the, it was the worst pain I had felt even up to that point. And I had no idea what it was. We found out later that I was having ovarian torsion. Um, and so I, it, it ended up being such a tremendous amount of pain. I really didn't know. I, I literally felt like I wasn't gonna come back from it and I had no idea what to do. Um, and I think in that moment, that was probably the scariest part of the journey. I think in terms of um, how you know, we got through it for us, I think a lot of it ended up being community. A lot of it ended up being support. Um, I, I know for Andrew, having to see me go in an ambulance and just, he couldn't travel with me because of our children. I think that was hard for him too. Um, but we definitely had community and support that I think rallied around us separately and individually. Um, we were able to call a friend that came with me, came behind the ambulance with me. Then we found somebody else to come and you know grab the kids. And so for us, the support was truly what helped. And he can speak, but I felt like he needed his own support yeah. that day. That day. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that day was a very, um, a very, very challenging day because you didn't know what was going to happen, what was going on. It was the, it was the worst pain um, ever that she was ever in. But the very interesting part about that day is that the paramedic that actually came, his wife has endometriosis. Yeah, Yeah, so he's like, okay, I'm going to take care, care of her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring her to the hospital because I, I know that she's in a lot of pain. So yeah, that was a very challenging um, moment. Um, yeah, I think that's the most challenging yeah. one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say so. That sounds terrifying. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. That's a that's a really traumatic. That's a traumatic experience that you both went through. Um, would anyone else like to share? Yeah, I, I have a few, and then you can you can tell yours. Because um, what are you gonna tell the, the well, your lung collapse? No, I'm not. Well, I'm not gonna tell about the lung collapse just yet, but I will tell about. And you probably don't remember we because we were so new. Everybody, we were very new at this point. This is before we started living together, and I was over her house, 
and I was, and I had, I, I was just feeling so sick. I, I'll ne- personally, I'll never forget it. I was mm-hmm. feeling sick and I was, I, I had came from work over to our house and I just, I laid down and then I ran to the bathroom and I was throwing up because not to be TMI, but this is an indoor space. So y'all are used to it. Everybody's used to it. <laughs> um, I was, I just started throwing up. My periods are sporadic. I'm not ashamed to admit that. And I was just, I was, sometimes I throw up. And I remember you were like, you know, what did you eat? You know, you were concerned because you had just came from an event and, you know, and you were like, what did you eat? And I'm just like, and that's when I came clean. I was like, hey, I'm dealing with uh, endometriosis. And I was very scared because of my past relationships um, where people weren't, you know, as my previous partners weren't, they, they weren't that supportive. You know, after a while, I think it was just the frustration on them, like that I was sick and you know, and then, you know, a lot of explicitives were being spurted around. And, um, and then in that rewinding to 2016, when I had my lung collapse, it was, it was with a previous partner. And after a while, that, very, that really deteriorated because I was still having effects from my spontaneous pneumothorax, which I have to this day. So after that, that, that relationship, I said, you know what, I, I'm not going to be able to date with this. How am I going to tell someone that I'm too sick, you know, or I can't go out sometimes when I'm not feeling well. So when Kristen came along, I'm like, oh my gosh, I really like her. How am I going to, you know, tell her this? What's going to happen if I don't want to go out sometime? You know, is she going to be lazy? Is she going to judge me and dump me? So it was just such a relief. I mean, I hate that your mother, you know, had to go through endometriosis, but in a way I'm thankful that, you know, you did have an understanding because when I told you, you were just like, oh, my mother has that. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I felt very relieved. Oh, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's what I've lived with. Um, and her telling me, I was like, okay, this makes sense. This checks out. Okay. We'll just, we'll just adjust. What was scary for me was kind of the first um, couple times we've had to run to the emergency room. Um, and this specifically was March 8th of last year. Oh, the week everything shut down here in DC. And it was interesting because we, we got asked. You know, we had already seen some cases here in the DC area. We got asked, and we were supposed to be driving up to Baltimore for a birthday party. Oh my God. Yes. See, so much has happened. I'm glad you recovered. Yeah. And, but, you know, she, um, you know, when she feels these effects and, you know, she had told me, okay, because at one point she was going to the emergency room. This is pre me, but she told me this story of going to the emergency room every time she feels a pinch. It was bad. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, well, yeah, absolutely. You got insurance. We can do this. And of course, sometimes that hasn't always been the case. You know, we had just had the UFE and we had worked, we, we had really worked around that. I'm, I'm self-employed. She's on the, the um, exchange and she's on the Maryland exchange is one of the better of the um, uh, Affordable Care Act exchanges here in the country, but that's still something you have to pay for. She's right at the top threshold where she has to pay the whole premium because even though we're not wealthy by Maryland standards, we're the US median <laughs> looks yes. like so. There's a lot of fears that come around. Okay, well, is this going to be a tight month for us? Are we, do we have insurance? Are we insured? Thankfully, through this pandemic, the state of Maryland had open enrollment pretty much all year. Um, so, and at this point, we could just go over to uh, the hospital center. But it was just, it broke my heart because I had to take her around to the emergency room. We had packed her bag. I didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know what was going on. And, and for her to say, 
we can't go to this party because there's been times when we've gone to events and I didn't want to go to her party yeah Lacey, yeah. we're sorry <laughs> if you're watching yeah yeah and we wanted to we wanted to go and of course we didn't know that this was gonna be the last time we put would all be able to get in a room together um, but for her to say we're not going on this trip today we need to go to hospital center we did it because but, yeah because I felt a, a twitch and now I'm gonna make it short because I felt a twitch sometimes after the pneumothorax surgery, even though this was in 16, even my lung doctor said I would still feel twitches. And so when I get that, when I had that out of breath feeling, mm -hmm. I, I panicked and I was like, babe, yeah, I, I, I wanna go to the emergency room because I try not to freak out anymore because after the pneumothorax happened in 16, Anytime I felt a twitch, I would leave work and just go to the emergency room. It was getting to the point where my my lung, my ex lung surgeon and my lung doctor says, "Stop coming to the emergency room. We're actually going to connect you with therapy because you keep coming to the emergency room." It, it had gotten like just very bad. So you know, it's yeah. definitely important just to listen. You know, have someone you know that will listen to you, someone that will pay attention and not just write you off. And thankfully, when I parked the car went into the emergency room. It was a very smooth process. Hardly anybody was in there. Now we weren't masking yet, but obviously everybody was taking precautions. There was COVID patients in there, but we didn't know what it was yet. Well, yeah. I mean, we yeah, knew what we, it was. We, it we knew and they had asked and we, but that was the thing. I didn't know because of course that's a long thing. And that's been one of the reasons I've been fighting. We've been fighting and we've had a letter on her because her job have had her back in there. They actually never went home, even though they're, there's so yeah. much going on with that, but we've had a letter on file for her and fought for it because we literally were in the emergency room with something potentially lung related the week everything shut down. I could hear, I could hear the trauma coming from the both of you. Like it just like the, the absolute <laughs> panic and trauma and it is deep rooted, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Les, I heard you say, wow, how refreshing, how wonderful it is to have a supportive partner after being in a relationship. It sounds like where you were shamed, you were dismissed, you were called lazy, you were, um, Brandon, I want to ask you, and we, we had a panel on grief and there is, there's a lot of talk too about shame, about, um, family members and, um, other supporters reacting with anger, um, instead of compassion um and and sometimes you know family members or partners actually gaslighting patients and making them feel like they're crazy just not believing them um Brandon what is that about and the I don't think these are fundamentally terrible people who are doing this right like you know I know I've gotten you know I have a wonderful family um but sometimes like growing up my parents I think the stress or the anxiety, I don't know. What is it, Brandon? How do we, how do we fix it? Help us. We need to give families more tools in general. Um, just because they know, like you have endometriosis. When I first heard it, I thought it was cystic fibrosis, like on steroids. And it was until my friend broke it down to me. I'm like, oh, they're completely different things. Um, and endometriosis is completely the same. But when someone doesn't know about a particular um, subject, disease, um, um, something that causes pain to the other person, they don't know how to react in general. 
Yeah. So it comes off like, oh, this again, or um, why do you always have these pains? And there's just not a lot of communication mm-hmm. um, on learning why this person has it. So if we start developing tools for the family around the why and learning the pain and anxiety that it causes the person itself, because no one wants to live in chronic pain or be anxious all the time from the pain, fatigue, from the inflammation. No one wants that. And so families, family members should take the time instead of blaming or pushing um, their lack of knowledge on someone else and say, hey, I'm sorry. Can you tell me more about it so I can understand it more? And I'm pretty sure the people will be old. People are willing to tell their story. Everybody wants to tell their story and what's causing them pain and how it's causing them pain. So as long as family members start becoming open through the whole process, it will ease the whole shame, guilt, anxiety. And it'll also help those who, in this case, have endometriosis, be relaxed and comfortable. And like, I'm in pain and I need to rest. I'm sorry for coming over. I didn't realize I will be in pain. Uh, but this is where I am kind of on your couch. And just learning to be open and learning to learn. Yeah, agree. That's awesome. I think that's, I think that's wonderful advice. Um, Dem and Emma, I want to ask you, was there a transformation? Dem, did you know how to support Emma at first? Or did you learn as you, what did you learn as you kind of went along? from, you know, the journey of supporting her? What, what did it look like? Yeah, good question, Casey. Um, you know, as, as a parent, uh, Emma had actually um, had her, her surgery that she was diagnosed with and then off to, we sent her off to university. So she moved out of our town, she moved to the city, she was going to university, living on her own. So she was um, starting to exert some uh, very serious health symptoms that uh, she was landing in the hospital, uh, probably at that point, it started off like once a month. So she was navigating by herself. So as a parent, um, I was kind of removed. Like I knew that she was going through this, but I didn't really know what she was going through because I was in a, a completely different town. And it wasn't until she landed in the hospital and I was um, literally, it's 10 hours away uh, where she was going to university. And, and for me, it was two flights. So uh, um, it, it was interesting, you know, with that, it wasn't until she actually got to the point of her journey when she said to us that she couldn't go on any further and she was done. And for my daughter to say that she's done with something, it wasn't that she was saying that you know, I'm, I'm just going to quit this. What she was saying to me was she was ready to quit her life. Like she was in that much pain. She was in that much distress. So um, that's when I kind of kicked in with more of my um, parental instinct of trying to protect her and get um, more of a support network going for Emma at that point. Um, and we brought her home. And uh, as a parent, going through that, I I realized that with the chronic pain that she had and the extensive pain, every time that we'd go to the ER, she had been subjected to going to the ER by herself and trying to advocate for herself. And number one, she's young. So nobody believed her pain because she was young. 
she's a woman, so um, go take Midol or some kind of Advil Tylenol for your pain. How bad can it really be? So there were all these kind of gaslighting and undermining um, comments that were made by doctors. So um, when she came back to Nelson and I realized how sick she was at this point and how debilitated she was, I, I realized that as a parent, my role changed dramatically because I had to become her advocate. I had to become her voice because she, when she was in this chronic pain flare, she couldn't even talk for herself, right? You know, like what's your, what's your pain level? They're asking her and it's like a 13 and she's throwing up. How do you, how do you articulate? So anyway, so that's where my role as a parent changed. What became very much her voice when she couldn't talk. And I realized that there was a lot of education that we needed to pursue. And again, because she was so sick, she couldn't do that. So that became my role. My role became um, just trying to find a path where there wasn't a path and being her advocate and being her voice when she didn't have a voice. Um, it sounds like an important lesson from that is believe your loved one, you know, but believe them like when they're in pain, believe them when they say that they're done. Um, I want to ask the patients here, um, what is one or two ways you feel absolutely supported by your partner and by your supporter? One or two things that they do that just to help other um, patients and, and supporters out there watching this. So I'll start. I, I think for me, what I really have always appreciated is the fact that Andrew is always there and he's consistent. And that is something that for me, I really appreciate it. I appreciate it also that he doesn't necessarily try to fix me or to, um, you know, it, it's not as if he's, you know, trying to fix a situation that he really can't fix. Um, but his presence, I found that to be very, very, very supportive because I think in general, people are uncomfortable with pain. You know, it's hard and people want to take your pain away, but they also can't. And they're uncomfortable watching you in pain. And so for him to know that he can't fix me and for him to sit with me as I'm suffering and sit there in the pain, um, even if it's just to sit there, um, for me, that was, that was, that was the, the, the best thing that he ever could do and the fact that he was consistent in doing that same I, I i agree with her um i'm i'm very thankful same with Kristen. i mean i know sometimes you're like okay gosh this again but you're there you're patient you listen you know you're not just like sitting on the couch or the bed like this shit again why why can't you take advil or something what's going on with you <laughs> So um, I'm very, you know, thankful in that sense. And then, of course, um, this, you know, with endometriosis being still a more of a feminine related illness, some me being, you know, more masculine presenting, that can be hard because, you know, some people are like, well, what, what do you mean? I would think she's the one going through the endo. What do you mean you're going through it? What, what, what's going on? So I'm definitely thankful for the no judgment and you just being very supportive. Les, at, um, at your summit, which was amazing, um, Kenya talked about the importance of having a support 
person in how sometimes even being in the gynecologist waiting room can be very uncomfortable and traumatic. Can you just say um, a little bit about that and the importance of having a support person there? Oh my gosh, for sure. I mean, I, I've, I went, I've done many doctor trips alone and some doctor trips have been hit or miss. Some of y'all out there that have um, listened to my story. Um, I've had just nightmarish doctor trips. Um, so I'm, so it's definitely good if you can have someone there, you know, someone there with you. Um, even I know now with COVID, you, some, you can have the per, you can have the person on FaceTime because I know with my, some of my appointments, she hasn't been able to be there, but you know, I've still had her on FaceTime, you know, so she could still talk to the doctor, but definitely just somebody, you know, that can be present that can talk with you, or you can even text or FaceTime, you know, through that ordeal, because I know it's been some times where I've left, uh, I've left clinics, you know, cursing and screaming and just upset. And, you know, and sometimes I've maybe have gone in tears. So, you know, I'm very grateful with her flexible schedule that she's been able to be there, you know, to just kind of calm me down and shout out not only to Kristen, but also my other endo sisters and brethren that have, you know, I've been able to message sometimes while I've been in the, been in the clinics or when I've had emergency room scares and everything. So def, that is, I, I, we can't, any of us can express how important that is, you know, just to have some support around you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I want to talk about uh, endometriosis can be really physically invasive and could cause trauma that patients and partners have to work through in their relationship. And um, physical and emotional intimacy can be incredibly challenging and incredibly painful. And Brandon, I'm gonna ask your thoughts on this as well. Um, Can we talk a little bit about um, that pain and trauma and the impact on intimacy in our relationship? Yeah, yes. Um, When it comes to being in pain, no one wants to be touched. Let's start there. And so when the pain is chronic, it starts to wear and tear on the partner and your partner may not know when to touch you or how to be intimate or what days to touch you, times, and we can run the whole gamut of how to touch. But the biggest thing is that the intimacy would have to stay in the form that um, the partner doesn't give up and the partner is consistent. Let the patient, I guess, in this case, um, let them know that they're always here for them and ease into intimacy, redefine intimacy. You know, it doesn't always have to be full on sex, but it could be just touch. Or like Claudia said, Andrew sat in the pain with her. That's a very intimate moment. Because honestly, Andrew could have been hitting the bottle and like, I don't know what to do. This is hard. Um, So just really being there for each other and keep the love alive. And by keeping the love alive, you will eventually have those moments where you're able to be sexual with each other. And once you're sexual with each other, really just be slow and patient and enjoy the moment, make the most of it. Beautifully said. When any of the couples like to, you know, add to that? 
Yeah, I I always saw him taking over and I'm doing another event where I'll be talking more about sexual health, but uh, especially what Brandon said, you know, because looking back in retrospect, especially in some of my previous relationships, I, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't that communicative. It was almost like I shut down too. So it's like we as patients also have a responsibility to be communicative with our partners about our needs and what exactly is going on with us. Um, I know when I, I took, this was before her, but I um, I was on um, Lupron and I'm not shading Lupron for those of y'all that use it, but for me personally, it didn't work and I wasn't communicative. It came with a lot of effects and I just became just, like like almost like I don't I can't even explain it like I didn't want to be touched I didn't want to be hugged I just all I wanted to do was just shower and go to bed after work so that kind of ruined a lot of communication um not only with previous partners but also with you know with my mother and just with other situations because I didn't want to accept what was going on you know here I am someone where I was used to having a very high sex drive and just being very intimate oh you know but then after you know just loving the physical intimacy but then you know all of a sudden I just you know I was like what, what's going on with me and I just felt that shame I felt this culture of shame and you know even just doing um doing endoqueer and being with Kristen where we've talked a lot about this and you know and Jess and then having other people share their stories with me it's like you know it, it definitely put an awareness in me as well with that so I, I definitely thank Brandon for uh for touching on that no problem thank you um Deb and Emma, I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, you guys are very close and now you're working in, together with the org. Um, and, you know, Emma, I know like you struggled over the years with pain and not feeling well. And your mom told us a little about, bit about your story about you said you were done. Um, I wonder if we could hear more about that in your words and, um, you know, Brandon talked about emotional intimacy too between two people. And um, I wonder how it impacts, you know, your relationship. And I'd love to hear more about it, Emma. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I guess I would start with the fact, like in terms of emotional intimacy in regards to that question, um, on a mother-daughter basis, she, the intimacy we had was that she was my voice. Um, when I could not speak anymore, when the pain was, out of the world when I was looking up into the sky just hoping that someone would um, just say this is the end she would speak for me and she would get me the medication I would need she would fight with the doctors if that's what we needed to do because that was the reality in the ER here in Canada as it is in many places um, and she would advocate fully and absolutely um, and that was the intimacy we had during that journey as it's moved forward um, I think the intimacy we have is um, a lot more joyful, thank God. <laughs> um, uh, it's very playful as we're trying to figure out what our roles are within a mother-daughter relationship um, with myself sitting as president and her as vice president, um, mentor role, um, and also just trying to find my way in life living with this disease, um, which had excision uh, two years ago this January. So just trying to work through remission, what those symptoms are ongoing and um, trying to have relationship with family um, when you've been through so much trauma and deconstructing that together and also as an individual, it's really, really difficult. Um, I also have a partner and um, 
it, it's it's a whole different realm. I think that every relationship has their own unboxing you need to do after you go through it. And it, it's lifelong, this trauma that we're experiencing to deconstruct. Um, and so, yeah, I hope that answers that question. I felt like I kind of rambled there, but. <laughs> no, not at all. That was so um, eloquently said. And um, absolutely, I think you described it perfectly. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, Claudia and Andrew, I know um, on top of endometriosis, you have been open about your struggle with infertility and you talked a little bit about it even this evening. And so I wanted to ask you kind of your experience with that in terms of um, how it impacted your relationship and how you were able to um, support one another and navigate it uh, together. Because I know a lot of um, myself included and a lot of other endometriosis patients have gone through the pain of infertility. So for us, the difficulty with conception is actually what led to the diagnosis of, of endometriosis. And the infertility definitely put a huge strain on our relationship. Um, you know, infertility is not just, you know, the inability to conceive, but it also leads to um, financial strains as you're pursuing fertility treatment. It leads to um, emotional strain as you're, you know, continuing to not just have medication and, you know, what that does to your moods, but also dealing with, in our case, there was a loss, you know, multiple losses as well through the process. And I think, um, for me personally, in me feeling that I was less than or I wasn't good enough because I wasn't able to, um, to you know, give, give him children and I knew that's something we both wanted. To be honest, I actually brought up the divorce word on more than one occasion in our relationship um, because I felt like if I can't do that for him, then maybe he should be with somebody else that could. Um, and so it really definitely put a huge strain. Um, I would say that we definitely had to, uh, we were in counseling for a while. Um, there were times when I would just kind of go off and disappear. I would drive off um, for hours on end. Um, but he wouldn't let me give up. So <laughs> he could tell, he could tell you from his perspective, but, um, he would not, he would not, he would, he literally would just, if he was going to harass me into not, to, to not giving up, he was going to do that. So, Andrew, can you talk about that? I mean, how, like, when she would bring up the, the D word, the divorce word, like, how were you feeling? How were, how, how did infertility make you feel um, and going through it? Um, I think um, for me, I more focused on, you know, how she was feeling. Um, about it. I think when we were trying and trying and it wasn't happening, I I had to just, you know, I had to basically zone in and, and say to myself that, you know, that children are an addition to our marriage and that I had to be encouraging her to say, you know, I, I love you. And um, I actually had to come to the realization that maybe, maybe our marriage wasn't meant to have children. But um, because you want it, um, let's keep on pushing along um, this 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 um, this journey. And the, as, as she was saying, the IVF journey is, is very financially taxing. Um, it, it it really and truly is. And um, you have the losses. We had um, losses in the middle of it all. 
So I think for me, I, I just more focused on her, trying to support her and also trying to keep my emotions in check because um, I think even though she brought up like the divorce word, I'm like, you know, that the, you, you being a mother doesn't define who you are. So um, it's, I, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's a combination of looking past the infertility, looking past the endometriosis to, to still, you know, to still remember the person that, you know, that you met, the one that you fell in love with. You have to focus on, on, on those first years, even though you're down the road now, many years later, you have to focus on, um, you know, that. So that, that allowed us to keep on pushing. And I, you know, I just, I just told her that we're not going to give up and we're going to just keep on going, even though it was expensive that we're going to just keep on, keep on pushing. And it, 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 it happened, you know, and um, we also did counseling as well too. And, you know, we, we, we're people of strong faith. Um, so we kept on serving together, trying to still do things together in our community um, to take our mind off of it while we're pushing through at the same time. Thank you so oh. much for sharing such a difficult, difficult time. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up going to counseling um, because I know that's really important. And Brandon, I know you work in infertility primarily. Um, so can you tell us more about how counseling can help um, you know, individuals and couples um, who are struggling with infertility? Yes, and first, Andrew, Claudia, Andrew, I applaud you for not letting her divorce you. That's <laughs> dope. Uh, as I said that to my wife as well, going through my journey. And it's because somehow infertility in, embeds itself in your identity. So no matter what you accomplished, you, it all goes out the window when you can't have children. And it, the accolades don't count at that moment. And you feel weak. And you need someone to lean on and you need each other, um, which is the importance of counseling. Um, what I do is I walk infertility clients through nine steps. There are nine difficult steps. The last two are fairly easy, but they still talk about the financial drain. The first step is we're getting people on one accord. You need your marriage together. You need to be together. You need to focus together. Um, and really be there for each other and learn how you're going to support before we can even dig into the grief and loss because we're trying to avoid divorce. Divorce and infertility is 33% higher than it is in regular marriage. And marriage rates, so divorce rates are already at 50%. So we really nail into the counseling, which is, you know, really um, keeping a couple together is the meat and potatoes of it all. And then you could deal with the grief and losses, which my condolences to you guys as well, because that also hurts. And until you finally get reach acceptance and your family planning, and then what defines a family if you want to live childless. Um, all these things are discovered in counseling, including the fact that are you does one person want to be a parent? And how do they feel going through that journey? And do they feel forced or do they feel dragged along? So there's a lot of the emotions that partners aren't really 
able to have themselves, they're going through therapy is able to push those bold and courageous conversations and allow for the couples to actually dive deeper in it in an effective way versus the arguments or stress or I don't want to talk to you in the days of silence and however else couples might deal with the problem. Um, so of course, as a therapist, I recommend therapy. <laughs> I'm a little biased there. But you, you have to overcome the emotional side of it um, before you can really move forward. Other than that, the financial strain will get to you alone. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brandon, for, for sharing your expertise and, and giving your insights. We really appreciate it. Um, I, want to, I want to ask all of you um, about self-care. How important is self-care in, you know, maintaining um, physical health, uh, mental health? Um, and I'm going to ask this for partners and patients because um, I think self-care is important for, for both because, like Sally said, when we first started this, endometriosis impacts everyone. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I... I also have some chronic conditions. I have um, generalized anxiety. I have back pain myself. Um, and so there are definitely times where I need my own space to process, um, sleeping through the night myself, just use doing things. I need to get my yoga mat out again. Um, over the summer, when we, when we started to see some case numbers drop, positivity rates drop, we started going out and doing um, walks. Um, there's several trails close to our home, many of them hug the Potomac. So we took advantage of doing that. Um, I'm a huge, huge crocheter. And so I usually have a ball of yarn with me. We've also been getting back into going to like between the library and the bookstores. In fact, that's part of our, you know, yeah. as we're filming this, um, we're gearing up for Valentine's day. And so going to a special closed off bookstore is gonna yeah. be part of our, our fun. But then also she has, um, she was one of the um, first people supporting the folks making the PMS belt. So that I literally one morning she was at work and everything was just going crazy. I was like, okay, let me pause. And I just asked her, you mean tea? Yes. What belt? Cause there, there's the PMS belt. I had this, I had this vibrating um, neck rest that I bought in my years of traveling all over the place and that was still a thing and dealing with my own back pain and everything and just making sure we have um you know chair support and then she can tell you more about like what the other specific things she does but you know showers nice candles food we love yeah. <laughs> eating better oh for sure um for me, like even before this, I, I literally, I, I clocked off, clocked out of work. I showered. I, I love my little thunderstorm sounds. I love my beach sounds, my thunderstorm sounds. I lit a candle. I just took a long shower so I could come into this panel just fresh and ready, you know, washing off the, the, the sometimes the drama of the day. Um, so I, and then like she said, the trails, in fact, I, I started hiking uh, more even uh, like once I really recovered from my, my spontaneous pneumothorax 
it, it gave me just calm. It gave me peace, you know, when I felt like, you know, no one understood. Um, before I even thought about it, no queer, I just would just on weekends or when I would, whenever after work, I would just start going on these trails. I would uh, find hiking communities and queer hiking communities too, which was very cool. And that, so that definitely, you know, just gave me a, just a space to relax. Just, and so I wouldn't, and sometimes, so I wouldn't bring my heaviness home. Also um, working out, um, once I feel safe for the gyms to open, I'm adding that regimen back. But um, hiking and then just and then doing kayaking, though that's been my that's been my saving grace. And then just really beginning to you know eat uh, better. I know that's not a solution, but personally for me, that has helped me. I was a heavy drinker and a heavy smoker before the spontaneous spontaneous pneumothorax, and even drinking you know after a little after that. But I said you know what, this is my fucking health. I have to really get serious about this. And so just incorporating that, having, you know, us having our space sometime, you know, her crocheting me. I love reading. I'm an avid reader. I'm going to crack, finish crack. I'm going to crack open the Mariah Carey book after this mm -hmm. and just unwind. So I just, so just incorporating just any self-care, you know, to help yourself, to help your supporters. And yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Those are really good self-care tips. Does anyone else have anything they want to share that they do for self-care? Um, you know, patient or supporter, which, which helps them? Yeah, we'll interject. Um, I mean, first of all, I would say the biggest thing for me was being kind to myself. So being an extremely overachiever, as most of us are, um, realizing that we can't do everything within a day and that's okay. It is okay just to have a bath, to read a book, to give up that task, because if you can't do it today, um, that's okay you can wait for tomorrow um and I think another big thing like I have a lot of other <laughs> chronic health issues as well as most of us do <laughs> so um adeno um endo and then also have some spinal issues from a couple of car accidents um so having that rest period even if it's five little rest periods throughout the day that was huge for me also taking physical and emotional rest periods so rather than just giving myself a physical break giving emotional breaks segregating the two um, and really being clear about intentions during that time. With my school schedule, it's so hard to make that time. So scheduling it in my day planner, just those little teeny weeny things that go so far for myself. Um, I know my mom also dealing with the deno and her other chronic health issues has some stuff that she had to do because when I went down and out, um, she gave everything she had to me. And then resurfacing in the past year, she was kind of like, whoa, okay, I got to take care of me finally. <laughs> so yeah, you can talk to that a little bit. I, I was just going to mention that I, I think that so often um, when we're diagnosed with endometriosis or um, a like disease of, of um, endometriosis, like I have adenal. So with that, sometimes we allow the disease to define ourselves and we just get lost in it and we forget who we really are and what we really enjoy because so much has been robbed from us through this whole journey. And constantly I felt like there's little pieces in particular with Emma's journey that were robbed from her and it just kept on taking things. So taking time to center yourself and uh, self-care and find things that you find joy in, it's, it's you know, bringing the little pieces back and starting to build the puzzle of yourself. And, and um, that was really super important with her healing journey, you know, just finding little times and finding little things that she could find joy in, joy in so that she could start to 
re uh, feel whole again and yeah. regrow accessible things too right because we forget like when we lose so much health you try to regain that life and you're like these things aren't accessible anymore so I used to be like soccer player competitive dancer and then uh, avid server downhill skiing and I was like I can't do any of these things anymore <laughs> yeah. so what's our happy medium so yeah yeah so that's yeah from our perspective that's what we found for self-care is just recognizing that maybe it isn't always what we thought it was but reinventing something new and being kind I love that. I love all those tips. And I think um, I'm going to put my schedule tomorrow, um, like a little window for self-care. Like you just inspired me. So thank you. <laughs> um, Claudia, Andrew, do you have um, anything to add? And I know on top of endo and infertility, you guys are have a lot of challenges and where I feel like self-care is probably important. What do you do for self-care and how do you make the time? So you can go first. <laughs> no, I, I, I have to go to the gym every day as much as I can. Um, I like weightlifting um, and doing cardio, going for walks sometimes, jog sometimes. Um, and then just as listen, I, I love my long showers too. It's just. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> like 30 minutes plus. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. so, <laughs> but it just. Just it just washes all the stress away. So um yeah, so we I I yeah, so just being active and we also have been um doing a lot of cooking together too as well. Um trying new diet diets, new um meals, things like that. Um to just you know to stay healthy. Um I know it doesn't as I say, I know it doesn't cure anything, but um it it, it helps a little. Yeah. And I'm just gonna say it, I like retail therapy. <laughs> I, love, I love retail she, therapy she loves retail therapy <laughs> awesome well thank you for sharing um the self-care tips i also love a long shower um we are wrapping up the panel i wanted to see if maybe everyone could give we have a few minutes left like a a final thought to patients and their supporters who may be watching this um a final thought of hope or advice um real quick if we can go around um for me one of the things i wanted to make sure i said and especially just know make sure your doctors know you and know you as the person and work with as much as possible work with health providers that understand unique situations especially with us we are we're very much together um, and here in the States, of course, it's legal for us to be legalized, but, you know, we have different configurations and sometimes even um, friends bringing friends to the hospital, it can get a little weird, but just HIPAA is there for a reason here in the States for some protection, but then also just being considerate of who you are. So if there are any providers that are watching, please be mindful and be considerate that the patient advocate may or may not be related, but they're there and they they matter and what they're saying. And if they're pushing back against you, you know, we're all human beings. So, and then if you are not getting the right treatment, if people are not understanding what's going on with you, there are solutions. So many of us on this call have created solutions or in the process of building resource lists. And specifically for anyone who is in the LGBTQ community, we are really building up endoqueer. Um, and there's a few other um, Facebook groups and such. Find your community, find your space, reach out to Les and the team and 
find that space where you can get supported because yes, we still do have these issues. We may not use, we still use our parts. You know, yeah. it's it's different, but we, they're still in use. Yes. Don't let any doctors tell you that just because you're not using them in a traditional way. And of course, don't let any doctors shame you if you've had a medical transition or if you're non-binary and you don't subscribe to right. what's expected. Um, and of course, if somebody's talking to, if you're not the person that's being treated and they make those assumptions, correct them quickly. Do not be afraid to correct your doctors. Quickly. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. That's really, really important advice. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you shared that tip. Um, Claudia and Andrew, final thoughts, final advice. So I would say uh, don't hide your pain. Um, I feel like in this world, pain becomes like a badge of shame that we walk around with. And we fear that if we express our pain or if it gets exposed, that we'll be ostracized. And what I found is by sharing my pain, by making it known with what I was going through, that my real friends, my real loved ones, my real supporters, they really rallied around me. And it helped my heart to heal, even though my body was still suffering and in pain. So I would say, you know, don't hide your pain. I would say the people who are in your life who are supposed to be there, your real friends, your true friends, your community, community they will rally around you and they'll support you. And I think that will en enable you and give you the, the strength to kind of push ahead, even in the midst of everything your body may be going through. That's beautiful. I love that, that, um you know, your, your heart healed before your physical body healed due to um, really good support. That was beautiful. Um, Andrew, do you have a thought? I think, um, for, you know, for those listening, the loved ones, um, I think the main thing I would say is to um, make sure that you always have um, your own support team, that team behind you, that community behind you that can listen to you because you know sometimes you may feel you know emotionally drained um you know sometimes and sometimes you actually feel lost as well too during the journey and if you have that good core core people around you um then that will definitely help a whole lot and the other thing too is that you know sometimes um if you know if your loved one is in pain and you just you just don't know what to do um you know just just be there with them um, you know, just hold their hand through it. And, you know, you, you always have to look on the other side that, you know, and to encourage yourself to know that, you know, tomorrow is going to be better. And um, always, always stay positive. Um, always think positive. If you're, you know, if you're thinking negative, try to just nip it and, you know, switch it. Always just stay positive. Always. That's amazing. I love that. Supporters need supporters and yep. uh, hold, hold space for your person. It's that's wonderful. Devin, Emma, like, can you give um, a line of advice for, um, you know, parents or caregivers and, you know, their children who are going through this, um, you know, some teenagers who often the time is tumultuous. What's your, um, what advice do you guys have? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the two main things, in my opinion, are listen and don't give up and mutually on both sides. So listening to your child, my mom listening to me after years and years of painful cycles, realizing, hey, what she went through and what I'm going through, this is no longer normal. We need to switch this. Um, and then on the other side, as as a 
a patient that's going through it, listening to your loved one as well. Cause there's, there's mutual boundaries there that I think sometimes we forget, like they do get tapped out. They're not wonder people. Um, they're not super <laughs> superheroes, you know, there's only so much they can do as well. Um, and so back to what you guys were saying, you know, having full communities, like you said, Andrew, you know, communities behind that person as well. Not that that's your duty as a patient, but taking care of yourselves first and foremost and listening to each other's needs. Um, the other side of that, don't give up as a patient. Um, I know in Canada and the US, we have similar dynamics and cultures um, where care is really inaccessible. So my heart goes out to everybody right now who isn't able to access what they need and that is in pain. And I just, I plead with you, don't give up. It is so worth it. There was another side. And when you get to it, it is, it's beautiful. I'm not saying it's perfect at all, but it's, it's a different kind of, it's a different kind of life and it's, it's accessible. And we are all here working to make sure that that is more accessible for you. That, that is what we're trying to do as a group, bringing awareness. Um, and then with parents and supporters, just don't give up on those people. Um, as much as we push you away and sometimes we're just plain nasty, <laughs> um, we're in pain and we're going through something really devastating, really traumatic. Um, and, and we need you to stand tall and stand firm for us so that you can be who we need. Um, and uh, hopefully we can return the favor one day. So. Wow, that was beautifully said. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I wanna also uh, put my final word in. We're in fucking pain. A lot of us are in fucking pain. Some days aren't gonna be pretty. Some days, you know, we'll be like, hey, I need my space. You gotta honor that. Um, don't just have one person either. Also have other people that you can reach out to, like everyone says about boundaries, about uh, having a collective. It's really all about a collective. Um, also, you know, seek help, seek therapy. Therapy personally for me has been something that has definitely, yes, helped. yes it's definitely been Brandon. something that has helped us. It's helped me especially because I know, okay, even though I'm dealing with endometriosis, even though I, I had a nervous breakdown with the after I had my spontaneous pneumothorax, I didn't. I thought I, I mean it was like people had turned on me, but I realized I also needed to take responsibility, you know, for that dark place that I was in. And also, as Kristen said, and as everyone there says, just seek your community. Don't have toxic people in your life. You know, if they honestly and honestly, and if it's some supporters that are watching this and you just can't handle it then you do what you got to do but don't put any more pressure on that on on the patient that's going through the that's going through it and patients don't put you know you know don't put everything on your supporter definitely have a collective to reach out to yes yeah, that's awesome yeah brandon you've given us so many pearls of wisdom this evening i would love you to close us um up for the night i want to say to the supporters be patient and learn. No one knows they have endometriosis, no one knows they're infertile or have anything else. They're learning along the way. Be patient and learn with the person and ask questions. How do you feel? Um, what are you feeling? What are your thoughts? Um, Emma was close to suicide. That is huge. But chronic pain leads you there because you're in so much pain. And Yo, it's fucking painful, quote unquote. <laughs> but um, the realistic part of it is that people need support and understanding and they don't need you to be judgmental on that part. They don't need to be shamed. They don't need to feel like they don't matter and that their feelings don't exist in that moment. So really be patient and love and learn 
with the person as they're going through learning more about endometriosis. And the professionals and doctors are still learning more about endometriosis and infertility and the relationship between the two and why it happens. So patience and love to the support of supporters is my biggest thing. And really learn from the person's experience and use whatever resources that are out there to continue to learn as there are just many different experiences for it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you to everyone on the panel this evening. Um, Sally, do you have any final thoughts? No, we're so glad that you join us here in the Endometriosis Summit, and we hope you'll head to the live stage to watch some more. Thanks, Sally. Thanks, Casey. Thank you, Thank you Sally. Nice meeting everybody. Yeah, you all. Nice meeting y'all. Yeah. Yes. Yes.